Chapter Twenty Four of the Riddle of the Frozen Flame by Mary E. Hanshu and Thomas W. Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four, In the Dark. Better men than they might have quailed in such a predicament. Here they were at ten o'clock at night, shut in an underground passage that led heaven only knew where, and with, to say the least of it. Small chance of escape. They might stay there all night, but the morning would probably bring release and discovery. It was a combination which brought to them very mixed emotions. Black Whiskers, should he be their rescuer, might at once assume an entirely different role. Would most likely do so, in fact. There was a grim element in this game of chance, which they would just as soon had been absent. Well, here they were, and the next thing would be to try their hands at escape on their own account. Perhaps the trap door hadn't been tightly fastened down. It was a chance, of course. We'll try the trap door end first, lad," said Cleek. If that doesn't work, I'll have a go at the other. But somehow you must get to the docks by midnight. You may learn the whole secret there, and it would be the worst luck in the world if you miss the chance. You mustn't. Come on. I second that motion. Threw in Dollops, though in a somewhat forlorn voice. I can just imagine what it must be like to be a ghost tied up in a family vault, and it fills me with a feeling of sympathy for them creatures what I never felt before. Like a blooming mesolinolium, this is. Mausoleum, you grammatical wonder," responded Cleek, and even in his anxiety he could not refrain from a laugh. Well, mausoleum or musculoleum makes no difference to me, sir. What I wants to know is how do we get out of this charming little country seat? Try the trap door, you says. Right, you are. He was up the rough steps like a shot, forgetful of the fact that though the door might be closed, there might also be others strolling along in that secluded spot. Cleek came up now behind him, and with a caution of silence, steadied himself upon the step below, and pressed his shoulder up against the heavy door. He pushed and shoved with all his might, while Dollops aided with every ounce of strength in his young body. The door responded not one whit. Black Whiskers had done his work well and thoroughly, possibly as an object lesson to the absent Jenkins. And Jenkins, by the way, was the name of Cleek's new-found friend of the factory. Hmm, that was cause for thought. Then Jenkins was more in the know than he had given him credit for. Possibly Black Whiskers knew already of their conversation at dinner time. He'd have to close down on that source of information at any rate, if they ever got out of this business alive. These thoughts passed through Cleek's brain even while his shoulders and his strength were at work upon the unresponsive door. Only failure marked their efforts. At last. Breathless and exhausted from the strain, Cleek descended the steps again. He listened and, hearing nothing, signalled Dollops to follow him. 
They must have got in somewhere, and here's hoping it wasn't through this trap-door, he said evenly. We'll see about it anyway, unless they were as careful with the door at the other end. It's a sporting chance, Dollops, my lad, and we've got to take it. I'll use my torch unless we hear anything. Then we'll have to trust to luck. Heaven alone knows how far this blessed affair runs on. We'll reach London soon, if we go on like this. Yes, and find ourselves in Mr. Narkom's office, a-burrowing under his highness desk, finished Dollops, with a little giggle of amusement. And he wouldn't half be astonished, would he, sir? Crumbs, but the chaps what made this blooming tube did their job fair, didn't they? It goes on forever. Phew, I'm winded already. Then what you'll be by the end of this affair, goodness knows, my lad, responded Cleek over his shoulder. He was pressing on, hugging the wall, his eyes peering into the gloom ahead. It seems to be continuing for some time. Hello, here's a turning, and the question is, shall we go straight on or turn? Seems as if them two blighters came round a turning, judging from the nearness of their voices, sir said Dollops, with entire sense. Cleek nodded. You're right. More sacks. If I wasn't so anxious to get out of this place, so that you shouldn't be late for your appointment with our friend Black Whiskers, I'd chance my luck and have a look what was in em. But there's no time now. We don't know how long this peculiar journey of ours is going to last. They pressed on steadily along the rough, rudely made floor, on and on and on, the little torch showing always the few feet in front of them to safeguard them against any pitfalls that might be laid for the unwary traveller. It seemed hours that they walked thus, and their wonder at the elaborateness of this extraordinary tunnel system grew. There were turnings every now and again, passageways branching off from the main one into other patches of unbroken gloom and it was a ticklish job at best. At any moment someone might round the next corner and come upon them, and then the game would be up with a vengeance. At Dollop's suggestion they followed always the turnings upon the right. "'Always keep to the right, sir, and you'll never go far wrong. That's what they teaches you in London, and that's what I always follows. It's no use getting lost, so best make a set rule and follow it. "'Well, at any rate, there's no harm in doing so,' responded Cleek, a little glumly. "'We don't know the way out, and we might as well try one plan as another. Seems pretty well closed up for the night, doesn't it? It certainly is a passage, and if the door at the other end is impassable after all this wandering, I'll—I'll—I don't know.' "'Can't do no good by worriting, sir.' "'Just have to carry on. That's all we can do,' responded Dollops, with some effort at comfort. "'There's something in front of us now. Looks like the end of the blinking cage, doesn't it? Better investigate afore we hit it too hard, sir.' "'You're right, Dollops.' Cleek stepped cautiously forward into the gloom, lighting it up as he progressed, the rays of his tiny torch always some five feet ahead of him and the end it proved to be, in every sense of the word. For here, 
leading upward as the other had done, was a similar little flight of clay-hewn steps, while at the top of them Cleek gave a long sigh of relief, showed a square of indigo, a couple of stars, and escape at last. "'Thank God!' murmured Cleek, as they mounted the rough steps and came out into the open air, with the free sky above them, and a fine wind blowing that soon dispelled the effects of their underground journey. "'Gad, it's good to smell the fresh air again, eh, Dollops? Where on earth are we? I say, look over there, will you?' Dollops looked, then gasped in wonder, astonishment, and considerable awe. "'The flames, Governor! The blinking frozen flames!' Cleek laughed. "'Yes, the flames, all right, Dollops, and nearer than we've seen em too. We must be right in the middle of the fens from the appearance of those lights. So, all told, we've done a mile or more underground, which isn't so bad, my lad, when you come to look at the time.' He brought out his watch and surveyed it in the moonlight. "'Hm, ten past eleven. You'll have to look sharp, boy, if you're to get to the docks by twelve. We've a good four miles walk ahead of us, and what was that? That was the sound of a man's feet coming swiftly toward them. They had one second to act and flight over this marshy ground, filled with pit-holes as it was, was impossible. No, the best plan was to stay where they were and chance it. "'Talk, boy, talk,' whispered Cleek, and began a hasty conversation in a high-pitched cockney voice, to which Dollops bravely made answer in the best tone he could muster under the circumstances. Then a voice snapped out at them across the small distance that separated them from the unseen stranger, and they stiffened instinctively. "'What the hell are you doing here?' it called. "'Don't you know that it's not safe to be in this district after nightfall? "'And if you don't, well, a pocket full of lead will perhaps convince you.' "'From the darkness ahead of them, a figure followed the voice. "'Cleek could dimly discern a tall, slouchy-shouldered man clad in overalls, "'with a cap pulled down close over his eyes, and in the grasp of his right hand.' a very business-like-looking revolver. Cleek thought for a moment, then plunged bravely in. "'Come up from the passage, sir,' he responded curtly. "'Loading up to-night, and some fool locked other end before me and my mate here had finished our work. Had to come along this way, or else spend the rest of the night down there, and we're due for loading the stuff at the docks at midnight.' "'Master'll be devilish mad if he finds us missing.' It was a chance shot, but somehow chance often favours the brave. It told. The man lowered his revolver, gave them a quick glance from head to toe, and then swung upon his heel. "'Well, better clear out while there is no danger,' he returned sharply. Two other men are on the watch out for strangers. Take that shot cut there.' he pointed to the left, and skirt round to the road. Quarter of a mile'll bring you. 
chaps at your end ought to see to it that none of the special hands stray up this way. It's not safe. Good night. Good night, responded Cleek cheerily. Thank you, sir. And taking Dollop's arm, swung off in the direction indicated just as quick as his feet could carry him. They walked in silence for a time, their feet making no sound in the marshy ground. When they were well out of earshot, Cleek spoke in a low tone. Narrow shave, Dollops. It was that, sir. I could fair feel the razor a-clipping a bit off me chin, so to speak. Having some nice adventures this night, ain't we, Governor? We certainly are. Cleek's voice was absent-minded, for his thoughts were working, and already he was beginning to tie the broken threads of the skein that he had gathered into a rough cord, with here and there a gap that must and should be filled. It was strange enough in all conscience. Here were these underground tunnels leading, if you kept to the right, from a field out Saltfleet Way to the very heart of the fens themselves. And what went on here in these uninhabited reaches of the marshland? Nothing that could be seen by daylight, for he had traversed every step of them and gained no information for his pains. Therefore there could be no machinery or anything of that sort. Hmm. It was a bit of a facer, true. But of one thing he was certain. Somehow, in some way, the frozen flames played their part. That factory at Saltfleet and the fishing boats and the fens were all linked up in one inexplicable chain if one could only find the key that unlocked it. And what was a man doing out there at night with a revolver? What business was he up to? And he had said there were two others on the lookout as well. Cleek pulled out a little blackened clay pipe, which was part of his make-up as Bill Jones, and plugging it with tobacco, began to smoke steadily. Dollops, casting a sideways glance at his master, knew what this sign meant, and spoke never a word until they had left the fens far behind them, and were well on their way toward the docks, and the appointment with black whiskers at twelve o'clock. Then, "'Noticed anything, Dollops?' Cleek asked, slewing round and looking at the boy quizzically. "'How do you mean, sir?' Why, when you got to the top of those little steps and came out into the fens? Only the frozen flame, sir. Why? Oh, nothing. It'll keep. Just a little thing I saw that led me a long way upon the road I'm trying to travel. You'll hear about it later. Time's getting on, Dollops, my lad. You're due with your friend Black Whiskers in another ten minutes. "'and we're about that from the dockyard. "'Wonder if there'd be any chance of me lending a hand?' "'Dollops thought a moment. "'You might try, sir. "'Twould do no harm, anyway,' he said, after a pause. "'Particular as you're my mate, so to speak. "'Ought to be able to work it, I should think. "'Look, 
who's a-coming now if it ain't old black whiskers himself and black whiskers it was to be sure he lounged up to them hands in pockets hat pulled well down over his eyes a sinister ugly figure he had an air and it was by no means a pleasant one and i youngster he called out in a harsh voice been seeing the country eh better for you and your mate if you keeps your eyes well on the ground in this part of the world never meddle in someone else's business it don't pay his voice lowered suddenly and he jerked a thumb back over his shoulder mate on the square with you i suppose coming along now bet your life i am responded dollops heartily giving him a significant wink course i ain't said nothing to old bill about what you told me but i know he's a cute un no flies on old bill governor give you me oath on that what about it now shall us bring him along too just as you says governor seeing as you're the boss but he's a strong fellow is my mate and his mouth's like a trap black whiskers switched round in his slouchy walk where he had fallen in step beside dollops leaving cleek on the boy's right hand and gave the mate a searching look under black brows in the darkness with just a thread of moonlight to make patterns upon the black waters and etch out the outline of mast and funnel and hull against the indigo cleek recognized that look and set his mouth grimly he'd seen it once before upon that night when this man had stolen into his room and tried to knife him where you off to matey with all your fine secrets i'd like to know he said jokingly digging dollops in the ribs and giving a loud guffaw <laughs> some girl i suppose something of more account than women i can tell you threw in black whiskers roughly he's going to help me with a little work overtime is what you'll get for it if you're willing to lend a hand overtime you'll get two but you'll keep your mouth shut or clear one or t'other it's up to you to choose cleek laughed call me a fool matey but not a damn fool he said pleasantly behold jones knows what side his bread's buttered on i can tell you soft job like this one what we've nicked on to ain't gonna slip through his fingers for a little tongue wagging i'm on mate right oh what's the job loading up boats for cargo oh contraband eh matey that's none of your business my man and as long as you remembers that you'll hold your job no more no less beg pardon i'm sure but i've been in the same sort of thing myself out in jamaica used to smuggle things through the customs nifty business it were too and i almost got caught twice but i slipped it somehow just loading is our game then just loading responded black whiskers significantly here we are now then get to work see them tubings over there well 
they've got to be carried over to that fishing smack drawn up against the dock. There's six of them going tonight, and we've got to be quick. Ain't as easy as it looks, mate, but that's not your business neither. Get to work. They got to work forthwith, and turned to the pile of electrical tubings which was built up against the side of the dock wall, twice as high as a man's head. A pale lantern swung from the edge of the same wall above them, hanging suspended from a nail. Another hung on the opposite side from a post. By the light of these two lamps, they could see a knot of men assembled in the centre of the dockyard, talking together in low whispers, while down below, at the water's edge, rocked a fleet of fishing-boats awaiting their mysterious cargo. One could hear the men stirring restlessly and shifting sail as they waited for the task to begin. Then the word was given in a low, vibrant voice, and they went to work. "'Easy job, this, matey,' whispered Dollops, as he and Cleek advanced upon the stack of tubings, and each started to lift one down. "'I—God's truth! Ain't it heavy? Lummy! Now what in blazes—' Cleek put up a warning finger and shouldered the thing. Heavy it certainly was, though of such fine metal that its weight seemed incredible. And when one knew that these things carried electric wiring— or did they? Never was made an electric wire that was as heavy as that. Cleek carried one of these tubings to the dock's edge, with the aid of Dollops handed it over into the hands that were outstretched to receive it, and went back for another one. Back and forth and back and forth they went, lifting, carrying, delivering, until one boat was loaded and another one hove into sight in its place. He watched the first one's slow progress out across the murky waters for a moment, making a pretense of mopping his forehead with his handkerchief, meanwhile. It was loaded below the watermark. It hung so low in the water that it looked a mere smudge upon the face of it, a ribbon of sail flapping from its slender mast. Electrical tubings, eh? <laughs> a pretty story, that. Two boats were filled, three, four. A fifth came riding up under the very nose of the last, and settled itself with a rattle of chains and bumping of sides against the quay. That, too, was loaded to its very edge, and took its way slowly out beneath their eyes. The sixth took its place after its fellows. For a moment or two the sweating men ceased in their work, and stood wiping their faces, or leaning against the dock wall, talking in low whispers. Cleek and Dollops stood at the quayside, listening to the water lapping against the iron girders, and straining their eyes to catch a last glimpse of the fleet of fishing-boats. Of a sudden, from out the blackness, others appeared. Old black whiskers gave a muttered order, and, like a well-drilled army, the men were ready again, 
this time flocking to the side of the quay as the boats rowed up, and waiting for them empty-handed. Cleek turned to the nearest one and spoke in a low-toned voice. "'What now, matey? I'm new at this game.' "'Oh, unloading. Usual thing. Faulty gauge. Don't never seem as though the factory can get the proper gauge for these tubins. All the time I've been here, nigh on to two years, it's been the same. Every lot goes out, some comes back again with a complaint. Funny thing, ain't it?' "'Yes.' "'responded Cleek shortly. "'Damn funny!' "'It certainly was. "'Unless—' "'He sucked in his breath, "'and his lips pursed themselves up to whistle, "'but no sound came. "'And the work of unloading began.' "'End of chapter 24